You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, Second Kings chapter five, and if you uh, don't know where that is, it comes after First Kings, and it is on page three seventy two in my Bible. So um, that's where we're going to be today as we continue in our series that we've entitled "Sabbatical Reflections," which is just a series where we're looking at really what God uh, taught me over the last three months when I was on my sabbatical, and we're reflecting on that and just discussing really what it means for us as a church as we move forward. And today, um, as we continue this series, we're going to look at what has become probably one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible um, that I really think highlights for us uh, the process of how we can be transformed. Um, it shows us how we can experience the healing and the renewal and the transformation that we long for. And so um, today I want to invite you to do like we did last week to just stand with me as we read uh, this fairly lengthy uh, passage together. We're going to read 2 Kings chapter 5 uh, verse 1 through verse 14. So this is the word of God. Now Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, "'If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria.'" He would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, the king of Aram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. And the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, My God, can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, who was a really crazy dude, by the way, uh, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Make the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of leprosy. Are not Habana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the rivers of Israel? Couldn't I have just washed in them and been cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a rage. Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. Let's pray together. Father, all of us in here um, 
can relate to this story and the fact that we all at times uh, have things within us uh, that we want to change. Uh, I know that uh, everyone's situation in this room is unique today and that there is no way that I could possibly minister to every heart in the way that they need in my own power. And so I just ask right now in front of these people that you would be gracious to us, that Holy Spirit, you would open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up our eyes to see and behold and receive everything that we need today to truly be changed from the inside out. It's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. All of us long for transformation. Uh, When we look at our lives, our our broken relationships, our sick bodies, our addictions, our character defects, we long for change. The problem is that though many of us are desperate for change, we often want to be transformed on our own terms. Uh, We want to be healthier. Uh, We want to be more patient. We want to be more loving. We want to be less anxious. We want to be a better husband or a wife. We want to be a better parent. We want to be a a stronger disciple. right? We want to change, but the problem is that oftentimes we want to control the process of how change happens. I think of my own kids who will come to me about every 15 minutes and say, Dad, I'm starving. Dad, I'm so hungry. And because they ask me that, you know, they say that every 15 minutes, I'll look and I'll say, okay, there's some apples. You know, there's some bananas, there's some grapes, to which they will reply like, oh, I don't want that. And then as a parent, I will say, like I'm sure you do, okay, well, then you're not starving, right? Like you're really not that hungry, right? My kids, in that moment, they want something inside of them to change. They have these longings they want to be met. They just want to meet those longings on their own terms, And in their own way. And oftentimes in ways that aren't even healthy or beneficial. And if I can be honest, uh, I'm really not that different. Um, I shared with you a couple weeks ago how on my sabbatical, uh, I was hoping that God would fix stuff within me that I knew needed to be fixed. I can tend to be anxious. I can tend to, to be filled with shame. I can tend to be hypercritical or judgmental. And so I was sure that when I went on sabbatical, if I would do X, Y, and Z, God would meet me where I am and he would do everything that I wanted him to do inside of me. Um, however, as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, when I came out of sabbatical, I didn't come out with my face glowing like Moses. I came out lonely. And not just lonely for you, but lonely for God, because I felt like in many ways over three months, he was distant, that he didn't do the things that I necessarily wanted him to do. And one of the things that God taught me while I was on sabbatical is how most of my life I have wanted to change, but I have wanted to change on my own terms. I have wanted to be transformed. I want to be healed. I want to be renewed, but I oftentimes want to control the process of what that looks like. And my guess is today is that I'm not alone. My guess is today, whether you're watching online or you're here in person, that when you look at your own life, you're desperate for transformation, whether it be emotional or relational or spiritual, physical, even financial. There are things in your life you're like, I desperately want to change this. The question is this morning, how far are you actually willing to go to change? The question I want you to consider this morning is, are you willing to be changed if the process is going to look different than you want it to look? 
Are you willing to change if it means that you're going to have to give up control? And with that question on your mind, I want to look back at 2 Kings chapter 5 where we come across this man named Naaman who had it all together. At least on the outside, he looked like he had it all together. We know from the scriptures that Naaman is a powerful man. He's the general of the army of Aram, which was an enemy nation to Israel, God's people. Uh, we know that Naaman had experienced many victories in battle. So this is a man who inspires people. He directs people. He leads people. He is respected by others. He has tons of followers on Twitter and Instagram. Lots of friends on Facebook. When he shares a post or whenever he posts something, it's shared a lot. It's commented on. It gets a lot of likes. I mean, this is a guy who has got it going on. In verse 1, it says he's a great man. He's a valiant soldier. But, wait for it. He is a man who also has leprosy, which means he is a man who has contracted this highly contagious skin disease that in these days would typically run its course over about 30 years. And at first, when you got this disease, you could manage it. You could you could hide it. But the longer you had this disease, the worse it would get. And eventually we know from history that that it would get so bad that eventually... Your fingers would fall off, or your toes could fall off, or your entire limbs could fall off. So this is a disease, clearly, that brought a lot of physical pain, but it didn't just bring physical pain, it brought emotional pain. It brought relational pain. I mean, if you had leprosy, people didn't even want to be in the same room as you and breathe the air that you were breathing. And so this is a man who, again, on the outside looked really good, but on the inside, under his clothes and under his really thick armor... He's a man in pain. He's hurt. He's wounded. And for some of you in the room today, you can relate. For some of you, maybe even watching online, you look really good on the outside. But on the inside, you're hurt. On the inside, you're broken. You're wounded. And you feel stuck. Like there's no way I can actually get better. Right Beneath your social media accounts... Beneath our super religious spiritual language that we have learned and projecting ourselves right below our nice clothes and our big smiles, there is hurt. There is our own form of leprosy and therefore physical, emotional, and relational pain. This is what we see with Naaman. Naaman is a man who wore a whole lot of armor, but beneath the armor he is struggling. And the people that work didn't know about it. The public didn't know about it, but his wife knew about it, and his wife's servant knew about it. And so after he would come home day after day in pain, after watching him struggle and suffer, eventually, not his wife, but his wife's servant, in verse 3, says, If only Naaman would go see the prophet Elijah in Samaria, then I know he would be healed of his leprosy. This is incredible, by the way. A whole sermon could be preached on the servant girl. She was taken captive by Naaman whenever he invaded Israel. More than likely killed her family, took her into slavery, and yet rather than her holding a grudge against Naaman and saying, good, he's finally getting what he deserves, she extends forgiveness and grace and says, I know how he can get healed. He can go to the prophet Elijah. And so, what happened? Naaman, out of desperation, he hears about this, he decides to take the servant up on her offer. He then uh, gathers up six talents of silver, $750 million worth of gold. So this man is incredibly wealthy. 
He also takes 10 changes of, of clothes. I love how the scripture includes that. That's important detail, apparently. And he grabs a letter from his king to give to the king of Israel, which reads in verse 6, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman so that you, or to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. We read that, and it's like you can kind of rush past it and be like, okay, but think about this. Think about if you are Israel's king and you receive this letter from your enemy king. I mean, literally what this letter is basically saying is, okay, here is Naaman, twice been voted who's who's by military leaders. He's revered by many. He's received numerous medals and accommodations and trophies and rewards. He has successfully invaded your country twice. We would like him healed now, sincerely, your enemy king. As you can imagine, this is not going to be received well. In verse 7, right, whenever Israel's king reads this, it says that he tore his robes and said, Oh my God, can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me, right? The, the Israel's king, he's like, this can't be like legit. Like, like, like you can't really be coming to me asking for me to heal this general of an army that has tried to crush us. Like, like, is this, is this for real? Like you clearly something's up. You're like, you're trying to pick a fight with me, aren't you? I mean, he begins to freak out and, and somehow like Elijah gets wind of this. I don't know like if somebody recorded it on video and it went viral or what, but, but he gets wind of it. And uh, Elijah's like, King, like, like chill out, like sin Naaman to me and I will take care of it. And so in verse 9, what happens? It says, Naaman went with his horses and chariots and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. So imagine this is something equivalent to a presidential motorcade pulling up at your house. I mean, imagine, right? There, there are police, there's motorcycles, there's limousines, right? There's, there's all these fancy SUVs, right? Like secret service. I mean, like imagine like all of that pulling up to your house. This is what Naaman basically rolls up in. He's with his entire entourage and then he parks it right outside of Elijah's little shack. And I love this next part, verse 10. So what did Elisha do? He sent his messenger to the door. And that is punk rock right there. I, I mean, Elisha's like, I, I get it. Like, yeah, you're a big deal, but he's not really that impressed. He's like, I'm not even going to get up, man. I'm watching the game on TV. It's like, hey, assistant, uh, Naaman's at the door. And so Elisha sends his assistant. And when his assistant shows up to the door, he doesn't say, welcome Naaman, or I've heard so many wonderful things about you. You're such an incredible person. He doesn't do any of that. But instead, look what he says. He comes to the door and he says, now Naaman, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Verse 11, Naaman, upon receiving this, goes away angry and he says, I thought he would come out to me, talking about Elisha, and stand in front of me and call in the name of the Lord God and wave his hand over my spot and then I would just be cured of my leprosy. So Naaman is now outraged. Like I traveled all of this way to get healing from this prophet. And instead of him meeting me, he sends me his lowly little servant to tell me to go wash in some little rinky-dink river. Right? Clearly, this is not the way Naaman thought that it was going to go. He wanted to be healed. He came here expecting Elijah to just wave his hand in front of him and heal him. Apparently, he'd been watching some TBN, right? He's like, he's just going to like throw his jacket at me or something, and I'm going to be healed. 
I'm going to be able to go back, right, and just tell everybody, like, okay, like, yeah, I had leprosy, but here's this really incredible, amazing, like, kind of real easy experience I had, and now I'm good. But that's not what happens. The assistant comes out and tells him something he does not want to hear. And it's right here in this point of the story, as we see Naaman begin to walk away, that we come to our first and necessary step that every single one of us has to take if we want to experience change. And so here it is, pay attention. If you want to change, if you want to be transformed, then you have to understand that all transformation begins with surrender. All transformation begins with the willingness to lay down our need for control. Willingness to say, you know what, even if I don't understand it, even if I can't logically wrap my mind around it, even if I don't like it, I am willing to lay aside my power and my plans. You see, This was anything but easy for a person like Naaman. We see again, right, in verse 1, Naaman was a great man. He was a powerful man. Naaman was the kind of guy who was used to walking into a room and having his way with everyone around him. He controlled people. He was the boss of other people. He manipulated other people. He was the one who ran the show and called the shots. So whenever he is asked by a lowly little servant to do something that doesn't fit into his plans, he becomes angry. He's like, you know who I am? You know what I could do to you? Who do you think you are to tell me to go wash in the Jordan River? See, this is exactly what Elijah was trying to do. This is what Elijah hoped would happen. So what you have to understand is, listen, Elijah didn't have to send him to the Jordan River. It's not that the Jordan River was the only place that had the presence of God. Elijah could have waved his hand over him and he could have been healed. So what's Elijah doing? Listen, here's what's happening. This is brilliant. He's testing Naaman. He, he, he's trying to, what, what, I'll say it like this. What Elijah is doing here is he realizes that more than God wants to heal Naaman's skin, he wants to transform his life. But in order for that to happen, Naaman absolutely has to release control. He has to come to a place where he is humble. He has to come to a place where he's willing to be weak. A place where he's willing to to surrender even if it makes no sense. Uh, One of my favorite Marvel movies is Doctor Strange. Anybody else in here seen Doctor Strange? Quite a few of you. Uh, Before Doctor Strange was the Doctor Strange that we know, he was this brilliant and arrogant surgeon. He lived kind of at like the tippity top of this like, you know, apartment complex overlooked to the city. He had the fast cars. He had like this really cool watches and the nice clothes and the pretty girls, the fast cars. I mean, he was world renowned. He was the best of the best. Good looking dude, competent, in control of his life. But then one day he had a wreck that rendered his hands basically useless. So everything that he'd built his life on was taken away from him and he begins to freak out. And he begins to try to fix himself and control the situation. And everybody around him is like, you can't fix this on your own. But he refuses to listen. So he burns every bridge around him. He basically ends up turning all of his friends against him into his enemies. And eventually, though, after trying all these ways to fix his hands and failing time and time again, he gets desperate. And he is told by someone, hey, if you want to get healing, it's going to cost you, not money, but it's going to cost you something. But if you're willing to pay the cost, go to Nepal and there's someone there who can help you. 
And if you've watched this movie, you know that Strange, he travels all this way and he shows up in this place of here's my plans, here's how I'm going to do it. He's rational, he's in control still, he's scientific, all of that stuff. But then he gets invited into a different kind of reality. He's invited to leave everything he knows at the door to open up himself to this whole new dimension where he can finally experience the transformation he longs for. And as you can imagine, right at first, Strange struggles with this. He's he's still trying to like, I can do this. I can can figure it out. And in this really powerful scene, his teacher finally sends all the other students away. She says, Strange, you stay here. And everybody leaves and it's just him and her in this room. And, And I'll quote her. She said this. You cannot beat a river into submission. You have to surrender to its current. Your intellect has taken you this far in life, but it will take you no further. Surrender. Silence your ego. Then you will be transformed. Then you'll step into a whole new reality. As I thought about that this past week, I couldn't help but wonder how many of us have yet to step into this whole new reality God has for us because we won't silence our ego. Because we won't release control and just surrender our lives to God. Elisha's assistant tells Naaman, go dip in the Jordan seven times. Naaman says, that's ridiculous. I've got this. So he begins to walk away in a rage. And in verse 12, he begins to protest. Why this river? This river's dirty. This isn't as nice as the rivers back home. I should have just stayed there. And it's in Naaman's protest, we learn another key principle in regards to how people change. And if you're taking notes, it's the second point. It is the reality that transformation often requires us to do what we do not want to do. Naaman wanted a quick and easy solution. Can't you just wave your hand over me? Like, can't you like send me to some nicer, cleaner waters? And the answer is no. If you want transformation, you're going to have to go down to this dirty river. When I was in seminary, I was a lifeguard um, at our pool. And there was a Saturday when I was on duty. There was a kid in the pool who took in a bunch of water, came right out of the water and threw it up all over the place into the water. And as you can imagine, everybody just like got out of the pool as fast as they could. And for the next three hours, I had to work on the pool. I had to shock it. I had to put all these different chemicals in it to get the bacteria in the germs. So all this work, but it had to be done because, listen, nobody wants to swim in nasty water. And so I, I, I get Naaman. I don't blame Naaman for not wanting to get in the Jordan River. This is not something I would want to do. This is not something you would want to do. But as I thought about this over and over this week, you know, I thought, isn't this like God Because when I read the Bible, what I find is over and over, God is constantly asking people to do stuff they don't want to do. I read a guy this past week, he was just talking about the book of Acts. He said, read the book of Acts and almost, he says, almost no one is doing what they want to be doing. Ananias, right? God comes to him and says, hey, there's a guy named Saul. I know he's been killing Christians like you, but I want you to move him into your house. Ananias is like, I don't think so. I'm not going to do that one. And he said, no, no, it's a part of my plan. Bring him in. Move him into your house, lay your hands on his eyes so he can recover sight and go take the gospel to the nations. Peter, right? He's a good Jewish boy who thinks pork is evil. 
And then one day God comes to him and says, I want you to go to Cornelius' house. And there's going to be a bunch of pork chops there and, 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 and Boston butts and ride all this barbecue. And he's like, Peter's like, no, nice test, but I'm not going to do that one. I know that's unclean. And God says, don't you say that something I declare is clean is unclean. You go. And then by the way, I want you to take the gospel to these Gentile people who you think are like these half-breeds that are far from me and can never be saved. It's just over and over. We don't see it in the book of Acts. I mean, from Jonah on the boat to Jesus, even in the Garden of Eden, God is continually calling his people to do things they don't always feel like doing. And so listen, if you truly want to become like Jesus, if you want to be transformed from the inside out, if you want to change, it's going to require you to do things you don't want to do. So let me just stop right here and ask this question. What don't you want to do? I know we like to ask this question a lot right now, like, what do you want to do? You do you. Just do you. What don't you want to do? What conversation don't you want to have? Where do you not want to go? Or where do you not want to stay? Who do you not want to see? What do you not want to do? Some of you in the room today are watching online. I, my guess is you are desperate for change. You're desperate for healing. You need to know that oftentimes transformation is going to require you to do things that you do not want to do. I think for many of us, you know what this means? I think it means being vulnerable. Some of you have been struggling with the same sins over and over and over and over. And you're tired. You're exhausted. You feel like you're being pulled apart. Some of you have the same character flaws you've been struggling with for years. And you're like, God, why don't you just wave your hand over me and fix it? Like when I'm in the privacy of my own home and nobody else is around. Why don't you make this easy? And God, listen guys, what God is saying to you today is I'm not just after your healing, I'm after your transformation. And I don't simply want to mess with the symptom I want to address the entire root. But in order for that to happen, listen guys, it's going to require vulnerability. It's going to require, maybe for some of you, to meet with a pastor. Or to meet with a therapist. Or to meet with your DNA. And to stop giving these vague 99.9% confessions. And just come forward with a full, clean confession and let the chips fall where they may. And I know that whenever you hear that, some of you are like, Jerry, that sounds risky. And you're right, it is risky. But the question again this morning is, how bad do you want to change? How desperate are you for change? Are you willing to be humiliated? Are you willing to become humble? Are you willing to surrender control? Are you willing, listen, to be led by someone else, even if it means they're going to lead you into a place you do not want to go? Naaman says, I'm not going to the Jordan. No, 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 no. I'm not going to be humiliated like that. Way too much at stake. I'm not going to inconvenience myself like that. I'm, I'm too important. I'm too powerful. And so he begins to walk away. But thank God for community. Thank God for people who aren't scared of you and just want you to like them but love you enough to tell you the truth even if it means you're going to be mad at them. Because that's what happens right here in verse 13. Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? In other words, he said, man, if, if, if Elijah would have told you to do something that made you look good, you would have done that. 
But we know how desperate you are to get rid of this leprosy. So who cares if it doesn't make you look good? Who cares if it makes you uncomfortable? Who cares if it's humiliating? Do it. We've come all this way. Don't turn back now. And for whatever reason, Naaman listened to his friends. And in verse 14, last verse we'll look at, it says that Naaman went down to the Jordan River. That is the paradox of the kingdom of God. That if you want to go up, you first have to go down. Naaman went down into the Jordan River. And it was through lowering himself, through humility, through releasing control, that he began to receive his healing. It says in verse 14, Naaman went down and he dipped himself into the muddy Jordan River seven times as the man of God had told him. And listen, guys, listen, we're almost done. The first dip, nothing happened. Second dip, leprosy was still there. Third dip, there is nothing indicating that this is working. Fourth dip, nothing. Fifth dip, nothing. Sixth dip, I'm sure he's thinking, man, I I swear, if that Elijah makes me look like a fool. But on the seventh dip, he comes out of the water and it says his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. The great man became like a young boy. And in his smallness, in his humility, in his weakness, he experienced the power of God. And it's in this dipping down and coming up, dipping down and coming up that we see our third and final way that we experience the change that we're longing for. And it's through the simple, regular acts of obedience that transform us. Guys, it's the little things that make the difference. The seemingly insignificant dip in and dip out, dip in and dip out. Jared, I tried the daily office this week. Nothing happened. Dipped again. Man, I've been coming to church service, even in the middle of a pandemic. Don't feel like anything's getting better. Dip again. I've been reading the Bible. It feels like just words, you know, on a page. I try to pray, and it's like my prayers are just hitting the ceiling. Dip again. I got involved in a missional community. It was nuts. I got involved in a DNA I didn't feel like anything changed. Anything significant took place. Dip again. Some of you are this close to walking away. You're this close to walking away from healing. This close to walking away from transformation. And Jesus, therefore, is inviting you today to keep dipping. To keep, listen to me very carefully, trusting the process even if you don't see the proof. Even if you don't feel anything, Jesus says, keep dipping. Even if you don't see anything, keep dipping. Even if you don't hear anything, keep dipping. Even if it doesn't feel like anything is getting better, keep dipping. Keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. Keep meditating on the scripture. Keep plugging into community. Keep showing up here on Sundays. Keep after it because it is the simple, ordinary, regular acts of obedience that God uses to transform us. Well, you've heard it said... I know you've heard it said, I've heard it said that the definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. That's also the definition of spiritual formation. It's continuing to show up time and time again and expecting different results. 
that knowing whenever you show up, when it feels boring and it feels unproductive and it feels like, ah, this can't be, knowing that you're actually positioning yourself for transformation. So the call today is to stay with it, to keep dipping, to keep trusting the process even when you don't see the proof. In just a moment, we're going to transition into communion, but before we do that, I want to connect this story to the story of Jesus. Jesus isn't actually mentioned in this story, but we know that many years after Naaman dipped into the Jordan, that Jesus himself dipped into the same muddy waters. He went in and he came out. But unlike Naaman, he didn't dip in there because he had leprosy. We know that, as John the Baptist said, that he was the pure lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. So when Jesus went to the waters to be baptized, he went in there to identify with your sin and my sin. He went there to identify with your dirt and your grime. Jesus isn't running from your sin. Jesus isn't running from your brokenness. He went right into it. So much so that he not only went into the waters, but eventually he went and he was nailed on a cross. And what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 is that on the cross, Jesus became your sin. He became your sin. Not like random sin out there. He became your sin. Your specific, dirty, embarrassing, don't even want to talk about it sin. And he did that so that when you trust in him, Paul says, rather than, than, than receiving the payment or the punishment you deserve for your sin, you can receive the righteousness of Christ. Martin Luther calls this the great exchange. He said, at the cross, Jesus took your death so you could get his life. He took your sin so you can get his righteousness. He took your leprosy so that you can get his purity. And because that is now true, the invitation today, listen guys, it's simply to step into that reality and begin to live as if it's actually true. And to help us do that today, we are going to partake of communion like we do every single week. And before we all kind of rush around to make sure that we understand what this is about, let's center our hearts on this. All right, you have that little cup there with, with the bread the wafer on top, um, that little wafer represents the perfect righteousness of Christ. It's the reminder that you don't have to be perfect because Jesus has been perfect on your behalf. The blood or the juice represents the blood which Jesus shed for the forgiveness of your sins to cleanse you of your leprosy, to cleanse you of all that junk in your heart so that you can walk around forgiven and whole and complete and truly have the power to be transformed from the inside out. And so I want to encourage you to take that today. If you're a Christian, if you're here and you are not a Christian, if you've not trusted in Christ, rather than receiving communion, receive Jesus. Trust in Jesus. And you need to know today the way that you do that is by surrendering your life to him. By saying, Jesus, I've tried to live life my way and I realize it doesn't work, so I'm stepping off my throne and I'm trusting that you're the king, that you're the Lord, and you know better how to rule my life than I do. Jesus will not come as your savior if you do not want him as your Lord.